Welcome to Daystar Rising. I'm Keith Murray. And I'm Julie Murray. Join us for conversations about destiny, discernment, and the new spiritual paradigm. Hey everyone, welcome to Daystar uh, Radio. <laughs> paradigm Daystar, yeah. Daystar Paradigm. Welcome to um, my Confusion nightmare. Central. <laughs> I think you're going to like it. <laughs> Let's try that again. We don't know what we're doing. Everyone, welcome to Daystar Rising. Appreciate you joining us today for another podcast. Hello, Julie. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Can't I'm get fine. our stuff together. I'm fine. <laughs> and we're here with the girls again. Our three dogs oh, and gosh. little bitty. Anybody cat. want a dog? Yeah, he's upstairs, <laughs> probably sleeping. Probably, if we're lucky. You know, one of the, I guess, constant subjects and themes, gosh, there's so many that I think, well, this would be a good podcast or that would. One of the things, if you're acquainted at all with the Hebraic roots, Messianic movement, that sort of thing, some of you are, some of you are not, one of the things that you probably will begin to learn right away, pretty quickly, is differences in thinking regarding time, and you'll begin to hear often teachings that begin to contrast linear thinking and cyclical thinking. And those things can be pretty revolutionary and really beneficial. And a lot of people have just flat never really thought about that in terms of time. They're just, in the Western society, people tend to look at time and events linearly, like a line, you know, as the teacher makes a a line on the chalkboard in history class maybe in grade school and puts these different things on it of important dates that happen so we kind of get conditioned to think of time linearly and i've talked about that a lot over the years and i've done lots of teachings on the subject of time and many components of that but in hebraic thought a lot of the words like uh, one of the major words for a festival or holiday is the term Chag. A lot of people are probably more familiar with Moed or Moedim, meaning appointed times, but Chag actually is often translated as a feast. And the idea behind it, when you when you begin to look into the etymology of the word and take it back to its root, it's going to go back to this idea of a circle, as in dancing around in a circle. As you begin to become more and more familiar and look into the Hebrew language, you'll begin to notice this a lot. I remember yesterday, I think, referencing the golden calf, or often what's translated as like a ram or a or a calf sometimes is the Hebrew word agel. And that's going to go back to the root agol, that again has to do with this idea of a circle or cycling around. The word Galilee, the word Gilgal, the city that the Israelites kept the Passover in after crossing the Jordan River in the book of Joshua. The Messiah was taken to a place called Golgotha, which means, uh, has to do with this idea of roundness, is in the roundness of the skull. So you begin to see that a lot of the words, many of them in the Hebraic language, expresses an idea of roundness or circles or cycles. So 
we kind of get that after a while maybe okay time is not just cannot just be looked at linearly we can also look at time cyclically and as cycles of time and, and such but also I think that we could begin to expand our idea of that now we understand and even secular historians talk about how that history repeats itself and history moves around in cycles and stuff but I think if we detach and we begin to look at things more objectively regarding our own life or other people's, we will begin to see cycles of behavior. Just moving beyond just thinking about linear time or cyclical time, we can begin to see patterns that occur in cycles, positively and negatively. And that is by no means a full explanation of ways to look at time or anything, you know, because as I said, I've done other studies on this and talked more about Einstein's theory of relativity and there's a lot of ways we can approach time. And I don't think looking at things linear is wrong. Whereas uh, I've heard some Hebraic roots, Messianic teachers talk about how, well, time isn't linear, it's cyclical. Well, I, I think it's just a matter of perspective. And I think we can look at it either direction. I think we can look at it linear or cyclical. And I've talked about the subject of pi before, the ratio from the diameter of a circle to its circumference. We can look at uh, the circle, cycle or circular thing, or we can look at the diameter as a straight line. And pi sort of uh, synthesizes these two realms like that. But once we sort of get that about time, that we can look at time different ways, not just linear, but also cyclical, then we can also begin to look at other things in a more cyclical way rather than just linear. So if you think back over the course of your life, we touched on this a while back, you'll notice certain patterns that occur in your life since you were real, very young. Maybe people responded or said certain things about you or describing you that when you were in grade school that is still said about you, about your personality or your, your traits that you have. When we begin to kind of look at things, make a choice to look at things in different ways, we begin to see maybe our cycles of behavior over the years that we get in these large cycles or smaller cycles and also other people. And there's people in our lives. If you begin to think of it more in terms of orbits, orbits and cycles, rather than looking at it just linear, think about somebody you know that some people you see pretty often, you might see weekly or daily. Other people you might see once or twice a year. And other people enter into your life maybe about every three years or five years or whatever. And for a little while, your orbits get close and you're close to them. And then they, again, they sort of go off and the orbit widens and you're not really very close to each other, and then maybe every three years or five years or however long, your orbits become close to each other. And we can begin to notice patterns in people and in ourselves of positive and negative behavior. And sometimes in relationships with people, whether it's family or coworkers, we have these expectations and we think, well, I wish this person would stop doing this behavior that I don't like. And for a while, it seems like that it's gotten better. 
And then just when you think that everything's good, then that negative behavior shows up again. So I think a lot of times our interactions with people, we tend to look at linear. We tend to think of those things of our coworkers or family members or whatever. I think we tend to think about those relationships more or less linearly. And so we're not as good sometimes as being able to predict behaviors. I remember there was a correctional officer that I spoke with a couple of years ago, I guess. And he was talking about inmates that would be doing very well, showing some success and stability. And then all of a sudden they would revert back and begin to be self-destructive or violent or depressed or whatever it might be. And he said, you know, we call this cycling. And, you know, you begin to see this with different people with their behaviors because it's very difficult for people to break bad habits. And so whether you're talking about drug addiction or other types of addictions, when you begin to see people in behavior, and even society and sociology, when you begin to see those things more in a cyclical way, you can begin to better pick up on the patterns and know that approximately just when it looks like everything's the person has finally gotten past a certain type of negative behavior, it's likely to show back up again in some, some way, especially if there's some, the same catalyst causes that to occur. Well, especially if they have a deep wound, like so much of their negative self-sabotaging behaviors will in all of us arise out of our deep wounds. And so you can mind address, you know, through affirmations, positive thinking, you can address with your mind and your thinking all you want to all day long. But if deep down in the core of you, you still have a belief or a wound that is creating a belief that has been covered over, you're going to keep reenacting whatever that belief is usually unconsciously in some way that's messing with your life so you know they can put a lot of good things to practice and even make a lot of progress but then when the right trigger happens and maybe it's a, a big enough trigger they find themselves back in the place of sinking into self-sabotage after months and sometimes even years i mean this is why like for instance alcoholics you know they have to be very vigilant and even after sometimes years, they can have the right trigger in the right way at the right time when they have low resources or whatever, and their own recidivism, their own cycling will kick back up. And so, you know, this has been a question for people to answer in, across all walks of life from inmates getting out and not going back to lifestyles that got them put in to people trying to get off drugs and trying to beat addictions and different things. You know, how do I introduce the new thing and not go back to the old? It's deeply ingrained beliefs about themselves, about the world, about de their deficiencies, about whatever it is that holds very big emotional gravity. And until those things are addressed in the right way, they're going to have some sway. Yeah, we may have talked about it before, but there's lots of folks that tend to always revert back to a geographic cure for things, whether it's a marriage or whether it is a job. I think a lot of, well, I sort of say a lot of men maybe, 
It's probably both. I don't know how equally distributed it would be, but I think that a lot of folks, because they, they tend to look at things almost exclusively linearly, that they start a job and they they like it. It seems like a good thing. And in a little while, the same pattern begins to happen because it's a cycle. It's really not a linear thing. Then they begin to become more resentful and feel disenfranchised, begin to feel used or abused. And maybe they are. I don't know. I mean, in some cases, I'm sure that they are. And they believe that if they got another job in another place, then it would be good. Often, you'll see that same cycle playing out over and over, whether it's a relationship, as in a romantic relationship or whatever, of a person is in this, they find themselves in that same dynamic over and over again of they meet someone and it's so great and then quickly it ends up becoming the same thing and so they either split up or get divorced from that person and then they meet another person and their person's so great and wish that I would have met them and then the same thing happens again and again and again or with jobs or whatever it is or projects or hobbies. I think a lot of people are always looking for a new thing, a new hobby, or a new some sort of new prospect to give them joy or a sense of peace or a sense of focus, purpose, whatever it is. And, you know, we talked about that whole Taurus and hair energy and those things are related to the subject. But I think a lot of times people just don't see those cycles within themselves or others. No, I don't either. I think that they look at the circumstances and say, why are all these people constantly being a problem for me? I really think that that's the majority of how people see the world. And they, you know, I've even had people say, why does this continue to follow me around? Like they'll ask the question, but then the blame or the reason they always look for outside of them. And you know, and I think we've talked about this before a little bit, I'm not sure in which podcast, but about you being the common denominator of your life and if habits and dynamics and circumstances just keep following you around through relationships, through jobs, through locations. I mean, you finally have to come to a consensus if you're searching for the truth and you want liberation. You know, you want to live a different way and you want to be free of something. You have to start looking at yourself saying, you know, not shifting blame on yourself, but just ask the question, okay, I'm the only common denominator here. How is it that I'm interacting with this dynamic in such a way in cycles that is causing this to just revisit and revisit and revisit and revisit? So I guess my question for you, though, was when you started first talking about this and seeing time linearly or cyclically and in highlighting kind of the differences what is the benefit to realizing this about time being cyclical rather than linear that you think could help people start to break out of some of those things? I mean, is it that, like, if we look linearly, is it that, like for me, if you said, well, what do you see? What benefit do you see? I might say, well, with linear thinking, it's like a parade from the ground. You see a beginning, a middle, and end. It's like a book. You open a book, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you think that you're just caught in a bad circumstance, there was a beginning, there's a middle, and hopefully there's an end. It's almost like you think you've got to, 
you've got to go through the whole play and the whole enactment and get to the end before you're free to change something. But then when I think about something being cyclical, not so much set in stone of past, present, and future, like I'm bound in something and I can't get out until the story has finished. With cyclical thinking, it's almost like a spiral. For me, and I think, well, every revolution of the spiral is an opportunity to reinvent whether I'm going to be the victim and keep sabotaging myself and keep creating these patterns, or if I'm going to interact with the next curve and turn around at being able to liberate and transform myself out of, you know, not so much even out of the situation as I would out of seeing myself as a victim of the situation and trapped by the situation that I would see the next circle as an opportunity to see it in a new way, to interact in a little bit different way, just to change up the variables of the equation. Because, you know, it can be kind of daunting to see the same scenario continue to play out in your life over and over and over when you don't know why or how it keeps happening. But to the degree that you will ask the questions and do some inner work and really examine what's there for you as much as you can and try to make all of that conscious, you know, whatever part you played in getting yourself into the scenario, taking the responsibility for that is actually a good thing. Because if you got yourself into a situation, you can get yourself out of the situation. And it's not going to be done by controlling or manipulating everybody in your environment. It's going to be done by changing yourself and then everything that's connected to you changes. And for me, thinking in terms of all these things being cyclical more than linear, um, seeing time a little bit different, you know, because people will come with stories. Everybody's got stories of who they were in the past. And it's like it's set in stone. Like, because of the way we process time. It's like it's set in stone that this happened and it can't be changed. Well, Einstein, you know, and I don't know much about Einstein, but I know that people say that he proved that time wasn't absolute. They say that about him. And I couldn't go into how that's all true or whatever, but if I take what everybody is saying and what he's known for at face value, then that starts really dredging up some implications that are both disturbing and, and exhilarating about what we view our past to be and therefore what we view our future possibilities to be. You know, and I'm not saying go get in the DeLorean and go back, back to the future or whatever and go back to the past and change things. I'm saying that I think that our consciousness is like one of the things in this equation that really has an effect on matter and on time and on physical creation in ways that we haven't yet comprehended. Like the science doesn't even exist to fully measure that yet. And if we can really get conscious with the truth and about ourselves and become illuminated in a lot of our habits of how we're participating and what our beliefs really are, it seems like I talk about that every episode, but I, that's just a big deal to me. The more we can bring consciousness into our perception of present events and even to past events without wallowing in it unnecessarily or whatever, but just take responsibility for the part that we see, then it's almost like we start to loosen the iron and granite hold and grip that the past has had on us because of the very way we now look at it through a better consciousness in the present. It's like, well, maybe this did happen to me, something I couldn't control. 
but then I get to rewrite the story. You know, I'm going to tell a story either way. What story do I want to tell myself? And I don't mean invent the truth or make up something that's not true. How am I going to give meaning? And how am I going to put this story in context in a way? And maybe this is it. This is the point. In a way that shifts me from being a victim that it's not possible for me to change my circumstances now to even if I was a victim, I am now in a place where I am more and more empowered to change my reality by the way I see myself, even just in the way that I see believing in something that used to seem impossible. It's interesting in the uh, book of Psalms, it says our lives are as a tale that is told. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really intend on getting so much into time, but you know, that's a really pretty cool subject. But yeah, Einstein basically said that time is not just an objective thing, basically it's subjective, it's relative. Depending upon the observer again, kind of like quantum physics, when we talk about that, how, where one is in proximity, it's just, it's kind of it's a big deal to get into. But yeah. when you begin to look at the patterns that we all have in a people, and you, I think for me, it's a helpful thing if you can begin to shift from just looking at your past as a straight line, like driving down the interstate and you look in the rearview mirror at your past or you're looking down the road at what's coming up. If you begin to realize, hey, there's a lot of these things that keep happening over, and it's more like you're going in a circle or these cycles or spiral, like you said, and I keep running into the same types of dynamics over mm -hmm. and over, or most people do, mm -hmm unless you begin to become consciously aware of that enough and you begin to really practice some honesty and some objectivity and you begin to, because in a lot of those scenarios that I mentioned about the cycles of relationships, these cycles of jobs or these cycles of jumping from one business or one hobby to another or church hopping or religion or whatever it happens to be that people tend to get in a cycle of going from one thing to another and then eventually arriving back where they, they started out a lot of times. It just, I think that people naturally are going to blame other people for, Yeah. I, I don't think that most people are honest and brave enough and objective enough to say, okay, this same dynamic has happened over and over and over again. Now, I could take the easy way out, like maybe I have throughout right. my life, and say that right. these people are just jerks, and they're mean, and they're whatever. Trying to keep me down, yeah. And I could interpret the information that way, or I could detach from that, and sort of levitate above it or, or float up in the hot air balloon or the helicopter and look at this situation, look at my life and these patterns and say, okay, what really is the mechanics mm -hmm. of this? And really, how am I participating in that? Right. Because, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a lifetime of these things, mm -hmm. it becomes at, at some point sort of unrealistic to blame every one of those failures upon them upon the other without taking some amount of responsibility for yourself if you want the pattern to change otherwise you're going to believe that lie well once i get down the road and this next stop i make this next job or this next relationship it's going to be different no it, it really won't it'll the same thing will happen and it'll seem like it's going to be great this is really it 
And then a little while, you'll find yourself in that same old pattern again because you're looking at it linear and you're looking at it without objectivity, without separating yourself. And you're more concerned with self-preservation of your, your construct self and your digital self-image, if you will, then you are really the truth and getting better and improving upon yourself and the way you relate to other people. Well, and I mean, if you just look at self-improvement as just something you do to grow, like to be a good person, and you don't really see any other benefit, then I kind of understand, you know, it's kind of like your boss or somebody's boss saying, well, do you want to work overtime and kind of learn a new skill and and we're not going to pay you necessarily more for it, but you'll just be better at what you do and you'll just understand how the whole process works. You might be, um, no thanks, I don't care. You know, you're going to have to sweeten the pot a little bit. I'm not just in it for knowledge. And I'm not knocking saying no when the answer is no. That's just an example, though, of personal growth, spiritual awareness, or whatever awareness. You can put whatever adjective to it you want to, but whatever consciousness you gain in one area, if it's consciousness based on the truth, if it's true consciousness, then it's going to benefit you in any area. And most people are just going after the carrot of whatever they've decided they want for whatever reason. And most of the time, while they may be conscious of what they want, and sometimes not always are people conscious of what they want, but where they are, most of them that I've encountered are not really conscious about why they want it. I mean, they can give you some superficial, and when I say superficial, I mean just scratching the surface. It's not a, I'm not calling them superficial people. They've just barely scratched the surface of knowing why they are thinking they know why they want something. Because it, this culture reflects, everybody wants this. And if you want to be accepted and successful and whatever, then you'll want it too. And that's what you go after. But when you start experiencing disappointments, and we all do, and that's actually not something to necessarily be avoided. That is a teaching tool. Life is the great teacher. You try something, it's like riding a bike, you know, you fall down, roller skates. There's all kinds of things that you persevere through, even though I never persevered through roller skates. It, the payoff wasn't big enough. But where you really want to know the truth of something, and why would you? People will say, well, why would I want to deal in the truth all the time when other people don't? It's just a big responsibility for no obvious benefit. Well, you have to shift who you're willing to be and the kind of the quality of the life that you're willing to live into a more quality existence, not a superficial existence, not a mannequin existence, not a gilded existence on the surface where you have all the appearance of success, but you're miserable and you don't know why, you know, you've still got these problems and issues. And I mean, you may have everything you've ever wanted and it's all miserable because You've just got these patterns inside of you or these thought processes or whatever it is that is causing unhappiness. And, you know, the only way that I've ever really found to combat that or to start counteracting that is to go very deep inside myself with light, with a lot of awareness and start asking questions. Because nobody that I know of who starts this process just has instant light when they walk into the room. It's... It's like a candle that they take in a very dark place and you just see what's right in front of you and you just see it a little bit because you've never been deep inside yourself and you've never asked these questions. You've never asked about your motives. You've never dug around and asked about why you really want something. 
you know, what are the wounds? What are the beliefs that I have because of these wounds, good or bad? And just examined themselves. Why do I say I want this? What do I think I'm going to gain? Is it more about what people think of me? Is it about what I think of myself? Do I think I'll feel more valid if I have this? Why do I feel that way? Why do I feel like I've got to earn my validity? I mean, these are just common human questions. We all deal with feeling illegitimate or not worthy of something or not having value. That's very common to everyone, although almost no one is talking about it. Um, we all feel that. We all feel vulnerable. We all feel like we're not, we're just not quite up to par. You know, especially when you compare your life, your real life, and you've heard the saying, don't compare your real life to the image life on Facebook. You know, because that's not anywhere near in the same ballpark. But, I mean, if, if you really want to live a life where you're free from all of the gravity and expectations that rule in the outside world, and you want to really know yourself and stand in your own power and authority and not be swayed unnecessarily by society... You know, you don't want to let other people dictate what's possible, dictate your reality, or dictate your identity. Then this inner work really has to be done, and that is the benefit. That is the pearl of great price, that you sell everything you have to go buy the field that the pearl is in. That's the Holy Grail. That's the underworld treasure. That's it. You know, and it's, it's not the obvious thing to work for in today's society, in this Western culture, but, but yet... Everyone wants the benefits and the fruits of having done the work. They want a sense of legitimacy. They want a sense of belonging. They want a sense of empowerment, of control over their lives and possibility and hope. And, you know, if you sit down people and you ask them, well, what do you think lead to those things? What do you think will give you or yield those things to you? Sometimes people have a little bit of an inkling, but a lot of times they really don't. They've just never been taught how to go within to discover truth within in order to produce without. That, that goes against the carnal mind. It just goes against the carnal mind. But who you are, what your authority is, what your legitimacy is, your validation, that comes from within. And I, I know that a lot of people, especially Christians, might really not like that statement and say, well, no, it comes from God. Well, I don't disagree that it comes from God, but until I know myself and I'm honest with myself, until I know how to be a good steward with the truth inside myself and be honest with it and acknowledge it and live according to it, then how am I possibly going to connect to my creator that is so far above me that it's not even funny? I mean, there's a scripture that says, I'll probably botch it. Um, how can you run with horses if you can't walk with men? You know, how can... How can you walk with God and turn your soul over to the divine creator when you don't own your soul? You haven't explored your soul. You haven't <clears throat> taken your soul back from all these beliefs that are wrong, that are based on lies or half-truths, lies, same thing. All of these beliefs and all these me mechanisms you have in yourself of why you do what you do, they're largely unconscious and, and they're largely not quite yours. People have taught you how to think and what to want. And for the parts that are yours, they're still off kilter because a lot of your beliefs about yourself that you formed got formed on around wounds. And so there's still some distortion there. 
And until you start really bringing the light of truth and acceptance and love and compassion into that space and calling it what it is and taking responsibility for what's there, you are never going to come into sovereign power. It will elude you forever. It will elude you forever because the way into it is not through anything external. You can't give to God or anybody else what you don't own. Yeah, I don't think that most people, you talk, and we often talk about levels of consciousness and living more consciously or less consciously and all that. I just don't think most folks have put themselves through the practice of asking themselves questions and then trying to dig down to honest answers mm -hmm. of why, okay, why am I unhappy in this relationship? <laughs> Why am I unhappy in this job or whatever? Or why am I happy in this job? And why do I want this other thing? Why do I want this house? Why do I want this new car? Why do I want this product or whatever? I don't think that most people mm -hmm. have practiced slowing down enough and getting silent mm -hmm. and still for a little bit and just say, okay, why do I want this car? Well, it's it's got good, you know, real good on gas mileage and it's got a really good warranty and I need a safe, reliable vehicle. That way I can um, make it to work more on time and, and have fewer uh, times of being late and all that. Well, that's the mind justifying all the reasons yeah. why, yeah. If you're Sheldon or someone, that might really be true. But for a, a lot of folks, that's not going to be really the truth. That's going to be maybe what they tell themselves. So when you begin to start pulling back these layers and say, okay, that's, that may be true, and those may have been decisions that contributed to me wanting to buy a certain kind of car, but let's look at it further. What? Well, I just like that kind. Yeah, yeah, okay, well, let's keep pulling back mm -hmm. the layers. And How do you feel when you buy it? How do you feel? That's, that's yeah. what it is, because we're getting closer there. Okay, because, well, I think I will feel... So by having this relationship or having this in in a car is a you're having a relationship with a, a thing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a similar concept. Mm -hmm. So if I can buy this thing, then I will have this feeling that I want and then why why do I want this feeling? Because then in a lot of cases I think that other people will think well of me, will accept me, I will be validated, I'll be looked at as a success or sexy or wealthy or whatever type of car or tough or whatever image that particular vehicle you think will give to you, that persona that you can strap on and become the person you want mm -hmm. to be. And so, and you say, okay, now we're getting closer and closer to the truth here. Okay, so you think when you get the vehicle or the house or the job or whatever, then you will have a feeling of acceptance and peace because then other people will reflect to you the image you want that you can't to give have to, for yourself. Yes, exactly. That you don't know how to give to yourself, so you're wanting it reflected to you by yeah. others. And then when we go one more layer, if I can have this thing then other people will see me and treat me in a certain way so that then ultimately I can feel mm -hmm. to myself valid and yeah. I can feel like I'm someone or I'm important or whatever. I can feel this hole in me in this lack with something that I think will make that discomfort or pain or whatever go away. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, and, and for me, it's not even necessarily changing all the thoughts. 
or feelings necessarily because you think, oh my gosh, this is true. How do I change all this? Well, I, you know, I think with people just becoming conscious of what is really true, just pulling back the layers and just becoming conscious is going to start working a kind of transformative alchemy on you that you're not even going to have to figure out, you know, what the next step is or, or whatever and just let it be what it is. I mean, dogs are starting to <laughs> get up and move around, do their yoga stretches. <laughs> like every time. Yeah. You know, about the same point. That's funny. Yeah, they get up and start stretching and shaking their ears. That's funny. One thing I was going to say a while ago when you said most people don't go deep, are you about done scratching? It always amazes me how long they can scratch the same spot. Um, <laughs> Keith's threatening her. <laughs> she took off running. Um, how most people don't go to the depth really asking questions and they don't really want to because in our society, and, and that's again, when we make these observations, they're, we're really not we're not, we don't feel that we're operating in the energy of judgment. We are trying to articulate truths based on what we've observed. And just to call something, you know, these are our observations based on people we know, just things that have happened. And ourselves. And ourselves. Exactly, exactly. With ourselves, with people we know. And sometimes cycles are easier to see with people you know. Sometimes they are. Because... They're outside of you, and sometimes that can actually be easier to see. But I think fundamentally the reason that most people don't go here is that somehow somewhere along the way in our society we just got the message, and it also enforces the ego that doesn't want to make itself uncomfortable, that it's bad or it's undesirable to experience discomfort. You know, they're just discomfort. And when people think absolutely that they know who they are and what they're here for and the cosmology of the universe and they know everything about God or, or their whatever their denomination is, you know, you can ask them a question, they can tell you what they believe, their theology, and they have all of this lined out path. And nothing in their life, not too much, has really happened to make them question that and they've just been able to rock along and and yeah, life can be hard, but for the most part, nothing has ever really happened that's just destroyed them to make them question anything. There's just this, almost like by osmosis in our Western culture, that anything that's making me feel bad must be negative and, and must be avoided and must be covered over with something that makes me feel better, a Band-Aid. And you constantly then, if you're, if you're in that mode of denying anything that you're feeling and trying to swap, like... I feel this way, but I'm going to do this to cope. You know, I feel, I feel invalid or I feel in pain or I feel, and I don't know how to deal with those feelings and I don't know what to do. So I will medicate myself or I will drink too much or I will do this or I'll shop or I will get crazy into something that's not negative, but I'm still neurotic with it. You know, if it's being used as a band-aid to cover over something you don't want to deal with, then the thing itself may not be a bad thing but you're still doing it compulsively, trying to outrun a truth that you are feeling a certain way inside yourself and you don't want to look at it or deal with it. And, you know, sometimes therapy does help. It just depends on what the issue is and, and where you are. And I don't know, there's this joke in society that if you go to a therapist, you know, crazy people or whatever, and I just think that's silly. I think everybody would benefit to being able to, uh, sitting, to sit down and be able to be honest with someone who didn't know them 
and wasn't likely to fight what they say because they're, they're not invested in their life like our family and our friends are. And they're not likely to just rush to make the person feel better to help coddle their feelings like a friend or family member would be. You know, just an, a third-party objective person. We could just talk to our feelings, uh, talk to about our feelings and about our truth. And, and there's this idea, oh, feelings, feelings, feelings. We're so sick of feelings. And there's this idea that to be in touch with your emotions mean you're crying all the time. But, I mean, we've talked about this, that there are, like, men that are out there that are they're viewed as manly men that can't get a handle on their anger or their frustration. I mean, these are just as, as much emotions that are causing problems as a woman's, um, the cliched woman who can't stop crying or whatever. And while your emotions in your body may not be reflective of the absolute truth of any given situation, objectively, there's still a truthful vibration that you have in your body in that moment. Like, there are things that people say, that experience all the time where one person might say something and they no more mean anything bad or hurtful than the man in the moon. But the person hearing them, because of their wounds, beliefs, conditions, their paradigms, they hear and they interpret in a way that is deeply hurtful. And they will go off and be in great pain because of that. And so you've kind of got this juxtaposition of an objective situation where the person didn't really do anything wrong and didn't say anything that was truly bad. Objectively, that's true. But then subjectively, in the person's own perspective that took offense, they had great tumult of emotion that was caused by this catalyst event. And so this is an example of how you can have a real-life feeling in your body based on a belief that you created that really wasn't caused by someone else. It was caused by what they said or did, and then you put the, the meaning or belief on it and caused yourself great trouble. But either way, we have to get to where we can feel and be honest about the feeling vibrations in the body. You know, whether or not they end up being legitimate as a feeling, meaning whether or not they line up with objective truth of, you know, Katie really did say this and say that about me or she really did do this whether she did or she didn't is an issue you'll get to later but you know being able to acknowledge feelings in the body and release a lot of those traumas simply by bringing the light of awareness on them to me is the work more of a spiral nature than a linear nature and I know that sounds that's a strange observation but there's something about the spiral model that to me almost facilitates greater ability to heal. There's just, I don't know about the spiral. There's a lot of spirals in nature and there's all these things everywhere. And it's like, this is the pattern of creation of, you know, you can lock in things like in cellular DNA. There are things that get locked in that sometimes no amount of therapy will unlock. But then interestingly enough, I'm just going to throw this in here, like, aromatherapy is one of those subtle things that are super it's super powerful in its ability sometimes to reach a locked or trapped emotion in the body the way smell works and so if you kind of start to see time and opportunity and even the way you live your life more as a spiral to me turning that into a positive you know we've used it to a negative to really reinforce things for ourselves but if we can turn it into a positive 
then every so often, you know, you just, you spiral back around and you spiral back around. And it, to me, there's more of a sense of relationship of everything touching or looking at everything else. And I know you'd say, well, a line is a line and a spiral is just a line that's, that's been spun around or whatever. But there again, a matter of perspective can cause you to shift how you interact with a situation. And if I look linearly at something, and this is probably just me, but it feels harder to go back to the past. Like I have to travel back further. It's like being on a road and just turning around and driving all that way back. But when I think about it being a spiral and the energy kind of coming up and going through the spiral, it's like, well, I just have an easier way of interacting with the past than the other way. And I know that's kind of subjective, but it's like I can touch the past and the future easier if I look at time as a spiral model. Everything's kind of touching everything else simultaneously, and it's not a past that's cut off from the present, that's cut off from the future. For me, it's more like everything is spiraling together in their fields or whatever, and there's more potential for healing and growth and change. You're not so locked in. Yeah, and I think that it enables you to cope better if you look at things that way because if you happen to be in a place in your particular orbit right now in your particular cycle to where things are seem to be going really badly first of all you know we we've dealt with that and we want to look at that and see why and see if we can shift that pattern in that cycle but at least you know that it's not always going to be that way and that eventually you'll move past that place and things will begin to get better. But when you're over here and mm-hmm. things are going good now, you also have to remember that they're not always going to be going great. And things are going to cycle back around and there's going to be bad times ahead too. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be good times. And like so the tide. If you become too attached or you believe that something is just wrong when bad things happen Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. if you think the the natural default is just paradise i mean that's just not that's not realistic and you're going to have a much more difficult time coping in life and what i was kind of getting at earlier to hopefully tie this together when we look at okay possessions or achievements or relationships or things like that and we we need those things but we can't derive our peace or our mm-hmm. self-worth or mm-hmm. validation from those things. Identity. And that's what really a lot of times the unconscious force is trying to do, is, is wanting and trying to, to fix. And even if you end up buying the Corvette or whatever mm-hmm. car you want, mm-hmm. that's fine. But... At least try to put yourself through some of these processes yeah. and so where you better understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, own it. Be conscious of it. And yeah. hopefully get to the point to where you can be at peace and you can be aligned within yourself whether you have that or whether you don't or whether you have that and you lose it. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times if we gain, even gain the thing and we think, okay, now I'm a valid person mm-hmm. now, well... You know, life is about gaining and losing, and whatever it is that you have, eventually you're going to lose it in some way. Whether you mm-hmm. go bankrupt, whether right. the, you crash the car, or the car <laughs> someone is, steals it, is stolen, <laughs> or whether you die, mm-hmm. 
there's a part of ourself that wants to play these games and deny the greater truths of life and focus on these little surface level delusions. But anyway, hopefully we've given you some things to think about and maybe this week you can think about some of your cycles or, or people that you're having trouble with. Take a step back and try to see this through a broader pattern and notice that this thing continues to happen and see if you can begin to understand better of why. And at least mm -hmm. you don't have to react mm -mm. in such a negative way every time it does. Because like we were talking about earlier, Lucy and Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown would think, okay, now things are finally going well. And he would forget, and then Lucy's going to grab the football right at the moment where he's getting ready to kick it, and he's well, going to fall down. Well, yeah, oh, she's holding it. Yeah, she's holding it, and he just keeps falling for it, runs up there to kick it, and she pulls it away right as he's kicking, and he always falls real bad and falls on his back. Because he's looking at it linear, and he thinks, okay, he either forgets or he, things have gone well long enough that he has forgotten or that Lucy's changed finally. But the cycle then repeats itself, and then he finds himself disappointed and on the ground again. Well, and the funny thing about that is that if you see it from a 30,000-foot view, Lucy's a trickster. Yeah, instead of just saying she's a bitch, you know, whatever, <laughs> and she keeps making him fall for it, if you look at it more in terms of energy, like energy archetypes, she's a trickster. And a trickster's job in any story is to basically unbalance the equation for the greater purpose, though, of you seeing a truth about yourself, a key, that will help you come into greater empowerment. But then the thing is, we can see other people in our lives that way, too, and you're like, oh, no, they're not, they're not there for the higher good. They're there for their own selfish reasons. Maybe they are. But if you see them as trickster energy, then all of a sudden, and not, not in a blaming way, not in a blaming way or anything, but like, okay, if, like Danielle Laporte says, she's someone online that I subscribe to and she has some good information, she has a post that says, if someone shows you who they are over and over and over, believe them. And there's, there's not judgment in that because it goes both ways. It goes positively and negatively. So maybe you're here to learn certain lessons instead of just continually blaming people because then that keeps you in victim energy. See. See everything. See yourself. See them without as much blame as you can muster and just see how the pegs in the clock work when you take the back of it off. And then you'll realize, okay, well, I'm participating this way because I'm interacting with them. I'm giving them power. And, you know, there's, there's just no end to all of the good discernment and wisdom that will come from being honest with yourself about why you are engaging in a dynamic. So we want to thank you for joining us today and hope to see you next time. All right. See you, everyone.